So this morning, we're continuing in our series called Fakers, Breakers, and Makers. And we've been talking about conflict and this idea that Christians are called to be peacemakers. And the reason Christians are called to be peacemakers is because of Christ, right? The Bible tells this big cohesive story about the brokenness of humankind, this great conflict between us and God, our sin. And it also tells about God's resolution to that conflict, and that's Christ, right? So what we see in scripture is that the gospel is literally a theology of conflict resolution. Isn't that cool? And so if that's the case, then shouldn't Christians then view conflict as an opportunity for the truth and the gospel of Christ to be displayed, don't you think? And yet, if I were Austin, I might ask for a show of hands in the room. I'm not Austin, so don't worry. But if I was, I might ask for a show of hands for all of you who would say that you view conflict as an opportunity. And not many hands would go up, would it? Not many hands, because it's just incredibly human of us to want to avoid conflict, isn't it? And why is that? Why do we so desperately want to avoid conflict? Well, let's pretend for a second that we didn't. And again, I know that's a stretch of the imagination for some of you, but let's say you decide to step into the ring. One of two things is likely to happen, right? You're either going to dig your heels in and take that conflict even further, or you're going to come to some sort of resolution, right? There's rarely this third neutral result when we handle conflict, right? And while resolution may sound nice, it typically, it may require something that we're not always ready and willing to give, forgiveness. So today, we're gonna talk about how to win a fight. I'm kidding. We're talking about forgiveness. <laughs> Y'all were really hoping we were gonna talk about how to win a fight. I know. We're talking about forgiveness, right? No one wants to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a tricky thing. So when I said forgiveness for the first time just a second ago, it's possible that a particular person's face popped into your mind. For some of you, maybe several faces. Right, forgiveness is this uh, word that can invoke these gut feelings within us. And when that happens, it's typically because that word or that face are somehow connected to some deep pain or trauma or brokenness, right? And so before we continue this morning, I just want to acknowledge that forgiveness is hard. It's difficult. It's hard to even talk about. It's hard to hear about, right? I also want to be clear about what we are not talking about this morning. We are not talking about reconciliation. It can be really easy for us to confuse and blur the lines with reconciliation and forgiveness. And I want to reiterate what Dave said in his message a few weeks ago. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation requires forgiveness to be sure. Good luck mending a relationship without forgiveness. But forgiveness does not always lead to a restored relationship. So this morning we're not talking about a how to fix relationships or a three-step process for getting rid of you know, bitterness and things of the sort. But today 
we are talking about forgiveness as an act of obedience to Christ. Now, the world has a lot of really strong opinions about forgiveness, doesn't it? The world would say that forgiveness should be limited. I forgave you once, I'm not gonna forgive you again. The world would say that forgiveness should be circumstantial, right? I can forgive you for this thing, but this other thing is unforgivable. And the world would say that forgiveness is optional. My house, my rules, I do what I want, I'll forgive you if I feel like it or not. And what we're hoping that you all are seeing in this series is that Christians, the church, believers, we are called to handle conflict and forgiveness much differently than the rest of the world, much differently. So what does Jesus have to say about forgiveness? We're gonna answer that question today. And I have to be honest with you, Jesus also has some very strong things to say about forgiveness, doesn't he? And his words can be hard to hear, particularly if you have some deep wound or have some forgiveness that you are holding on to. And so before we continue, I just want us to take a minute to ask God to speak his words to us because it can be hard to hear sometimes. Y'all pray with me. God, we just acknowledge that you are here, that you are among us and you are within us. And we are so thankful, God, because we need you to speak your truth to those deepest parts of us that hurt. Help us to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get them out. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 15 this morning. And so we're continuing in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This particular part of the sermon that we're going to be in today, you've probably heard referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Now we're going to be working backwards in our text this morning because again, I want us to answer the question, what does Jesus have to say about forgiveness? And then I want us to look at his instruction on prayer and see how that speaks to his expectations on forgiveness. Okay, so that's our plan today. Let's read through our text together. Matthew 6, we'll be reading 7 through 15. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So we see the end of the Lord's prayer in verse 13. But then we get to verse 14, and it almost seems to be this strange add-on to that group of texts, right? So what we're seeing here is Jesus giving us a little added commentary to verse 12, almost as if he's like, I saw you slide right past that verse on forgiveness and debts and things. And so he's going to circle us back to verse 12 and give us a little extra, So I want us to read those verses again and really listen to what it is that Jesus is saying about forgiveness. 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is one of those passages that Dave and Austin get together and say, which sucker on staff can we assign this to because we don't want to talk about it? Because it just feels jarring to our Christian sensibilities, right? Can we just be honest here? Something sounds backwards about this text because it seems to be making Jesus, making God's forgiveness conditional. Am I the only one that reads it that way? Something feels conditional here. And so we start to sort of fill in the blanks about what we think Jesus might actually mean. So what does he say? He says, if you forgive, I'll forgive. If you don't forgive other people, then I won't forgive you. (laughs) So Jesus said it, which means that somehow, in some way, our forgiveness of others and Christ's forgiveness for us is connected, okay? Well, let's explore this, see what we can figure out. Christians would agree that forgiveness is a core principle, right, of, of our beliefs, right? No, no big surprises there, right? All on the same page. We read here uh, at Vista, often we read the Apostles' Creed, which is kind of like a statement of faith. And in this creed, we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, a core belief. But I wonder if we've thought much about what that actually means. C.S. Lewis writes uh, an essay called On Forgiveness. It's actually On Forgiveness, catchy title. And in this essay, he talks about his realization that he didn't so much want God's forgiveness as much as he wanted to be excused by God for his sin. And there's a big difference there, isn't there? To seek forgiveness says, I've done this thing to you. I owe you this debt. I'm sorry. And likewise, to give forgiveness, to offer forgiveness says, yes, you do owe me this debt. You have done this thing. I accept your apology and I release you from your debt. That's forgiveness. Excusing, though, excusing says, I'm sorry, but. It doesn't really matter what comes after the but. If there's a but attached to your apology, you're excusing, right? That's why we always say excuses stink, right? If you are excusing or if you are saying, I'm sorry, but, then you are excusing. Excusing says, I did do this thing. I do owe you this debt, but But there's these other situations. For this reason or that, I couldn't really help myself. So I'm not really to blame. And excusing an offender, it's similar. It says, it's okay. I know that you couldn't really help it. I know that you didn't really want to. You're not to blame. That's what excusing looks like. To seek God's forgiveness is to acknowledge that we owe him a debt, and that there is no amount of goodness within us that can repay it. We owe him a debt that we could never, never pay back. No excuses, no buts. That is seeking God's forgiveness. When we excuse our sin, we are saying, God, I do owe you something. I do have this sin in me. It may even be something big, but I also have this good in me too, see? At least I'm not like 
this person. That's how we excuse our sin. C.S. Lewis gives the example of going to the doctor when you break your arm, right? And then telling the doctor, my legs are good, my arm, my other arm's doing pretty good, so I've still got one arm that's good. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't go see a doctor and tell him that. Why? Because we're not there for those things. We're there for what's broken. We're there for what's broken. It doesn't matter how many legitimate excuses you have or how much good we think we have within us. At the end of the day, there will always be something within us that is broken and inexcusable. Always. God's forgiveness is him looking straight at that part of us. Straight at the part of us that at the end of the day, with all the excuses gone and and all of the good recognized for its filthy rags, it is him looking straight at our sin and all of its truth and all of its horror and wholly reconciling us to himself. That is forgiveness. Isn't that good news? That is forgiveness. And yet, we still find ourselves wanting to measure up, don't we? We still find ourselves wanting to have some good within us to make sense of what God has given us. Lewis says our excuses are bred from a place deep within our hearts where we don't really believe that God forgives. He says that surely God will not take me to himself unless he believes that there is something within me that is good and worth saving. And the thing about this lie is, it's really easy for us to believe it and not even recognize it. Because when our lives are going well, we can look and we can unconsciously say, see, God loves me. But the minute our lives take a turn, what happens? The doubts and the fears and the questions because this lie produces within us a personal and a spiritual instability that surfaces when our lives don't quite look the way we want them to. Like when we're faced with the need to forgive the seemingly unforgivable. Because if I have somehow found favor with God and I am therefore somehow worthy of being forgiven, then why is this happening, God? What did I do wrong? How am I supposed to forgive this person who has wronged me in this way? Has God abandoned me? And so we can find ourselves not only angry at the person who has wronged us, but also angry at God. Because I know I'm not perfect, God, but surely, surely I deserve better than this. Excuses. And so what we face is this. Our inability to forgive is rooted in our inability to tell the truth about ourselves. If you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Because if you don't forgive others, then you have not understood the depth of your own sin and what it is that Christ has done for you. Guys, to to forgive others is to tell the truth about ourselves. Forgiving others is me saying, I too am the unforgivable, and yet Christ has done it. Admitting the truth about myself, that I am utterly broken before God, I'm inexcusable. It's the only way that I'll ever be able to understand exactly what it is that Christ has done for me. 
It's the only way I'll be able to grasp how much he loves me. Admitting the truth about my sin is the only way I'll ever understand how much he has forgiven. Admitting the truth and telling the truth about ourselves and then accepting Christ's forgiveness. So beautiful. That should result in my embracing the need or rather the opportunity to give to others what Christ has given to me, his forgiveness. We see Paul telling the truth about himself in 1 Timothy when he says, I am the worst of sinners. You can read it in uh, 1 Timothy chapter one. He says, it's because I'm the worst of sinners that Christ has given me mercy in the first place so that the perfect patience of Jesus might be displayed as an example in me. That's what Paul says, the worst of sinners. And God can use me as an example. When we are faced with the need to forgive, we are invited to participate with God as an example of the very same sacred and holy act that rescued us from our sinful brokenness. Our opportunity to forgive is our opportunity to be an example of Christ's forgiveness to us. Now, we can just take a minute to acknowledge how hard that sounds and how hard that feels, like impossible at times, right? Sometimes forgiveness feels like God is asking us to give an unfair gift to someone who has hurt us. I've certainly been there. So how is this possible? How can we have our hearts align with the words of Jesus here? This is gonna bring us back to the beginning of our text in Matthew 6. Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray. And I want us to wrap our minds around, around what's actually happening here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so God in flesh, is saying to his followers, this is how I want you to talk with me. So I want us to read these words remembering that. So let's pick up in Matthew 6. We're gonna read seven through the beginning of verse nine. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. He says, pray then like this, because when you pray like this, in the way that Jesus is going to teach his followers, your heart can then be informed of the things that he already knows about you. And your heart can then be informed of the things that he already knows about himself. Pray then in this way so that your heart can be shaped to be a kingdom person. And kingdom people forgive because Christ forgave. Pray then like this so that you will be able to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives because here's the truth. Forgiveness is not based on cooperation. I'm sorry, it's not based on determination. It's not. It's based on cooperation. Forgiveness is not based on determination. It's based on cooperation with the work of the Spirit in our lives. We cannot will ourselves to forgive. If you've tried that, you know it doesn't work. I've been there. We cannot will ourselves to forgive, but we can say yes to what God tells us and yes to his commands, and we can cooperate with the work of the Spirit within our lives. 
It's based on cooperation. So let's see how God wants to shape our hearts through this prayer. Verse nine. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, begin prayer by acknowledging your position. That you are no longer a slave to sin, but you have been brought into a new family, adopted as sons and daughters. You've been made new. It is, it is his hallowed, his holy name that we now bear. Come to me in prayer and remember whose you are. That's what he tells him. In verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Acknowledging our position in God's family should change our perspective. It should change where we fixed our eyes because as a child of God, I'm a part of his kingdom now and this world is not my home. So God, fix my eyes on your kingdom and fix my eyes on your will and the things that you are doing and help me say yes to all of it because it is better. Your kingdom, your will be done. So when we acknowledge our position in God's family, it should change our perspective, where we fixed our eyes. And when our eyes are set on eternal things, it can change our perceived need for provision. What I think I need and what I think that I want can be rightly informed by my eyes being set on eternal things. And so, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 11, this verbiage would have jogged the memory of his Jewish hearers. He's reaching back into their history to the time of the Exodus when God's people are wandering through the desert, they're complaining and they're hungry and what does God do? He sends them bread from heaven. You can read the story in Exodus 16. Bread from heaven. He wants to teach them that he alone is their provider. But he's also pointing them forward to a greater provision. In John 6 we read, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So to pray, give us this day our daily bread, is to acknowledge that God alone is our provider and he is the very sustainer of our lives. He is our greatest need. He is. What we also need is his forgiveness, which circles us back to verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hopefully you can read this verse now with a different and full understanding. Asking God to forgive us our debts is us telling the truth about ourselves. No excuses. And the beautiful thing about this prayer is that it's a lot easier to tell the truth about myself when I've been reminded whose I am, that I am brought into a family of God, that I have a new home, that his kingdom and his purpose and his desires are what matter. This prayer leads me to be able to tell the truth about my sin because it tells the whole truth, the better truth about me, that I am a redeemed child of the Holy Father and he has made me new and he has held me secure in his love and his forgiveness. Praying in this way is also us acknowledging that there are people who have hurt me. I have debtors. I have people who have sinned against me and wronged me to be sure, but I am no different than they are. 
I am capable of the same because I am just as sinful as them. God, apply the same forgiveness to me that I have given to them. And lastly, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus' final words here are a petition for God's protection and rescue from testing. And it's no coincidence here that Jesus asked them to pray this after they've prayed about forgiveness, because while forgiveness is the doorway to the sacred saving act of Jesus, conversely, unforgiveness is a doorway to temptation and testing. To be clear, to struggle to forgive, that's human, that's human. Forgiveness is not natural and it's not easy. Forgiveness is costly, it always has been, always. In Hebrews nine we read that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. If anyone understands the cost of forgiveness, it's Jesus. He gave his life for it. He shed his own blood for it. So consider the cost and pay it, he says. Fight the fight. Do the impossible work. Call the counselor. Tell the friend. Confess to God. But to say no to forgiveness, to refuse to forgive, is to say no to God's commands, is to say no. God will not choose for you. You may choose not to forgive, but because he loves us, God cannot allow unforgiveness to go unsorted in the hearts of his people. I know this because I have walked through that door of unforgiveness and I have made my home with bitterness and anger and pride and I know that feeling as though my soul was wandering and lost. Some of you know that feeling well. But God, Jesus has taught us how to pray. He's taught us this so that when we do face temptation and testing, and we will, and when we do face the need to forgive, and we will, we will know the whole truth about ourselves, and we will know the whole truth about God, and we will be able to cooperate with the work of the Spirit in our lives and obey. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not excusing. Forgiving is not a feeling, and it does not always lead to a restored relationship. Forgiveness is us telling the truth about our own sin, and in light of that truth, giving up our right to condemn or punish and handing that over to God to judge. And that may not always look how we want it to look. It may not. But forgiving is letting go of what I want to make peace. Because that is exactly what Jesus' forgiveness did between us and God. His forgiveness made peace. Let's pray. God, we are yours. We are brought into your family and made new. It is your holy name that we bear. God, may we come to you in confidence and know that you love us despite our sin. Help us to respond to your truth today in obedience.